0: For more information on Cynthia's diverse background, log on to CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Let the next 60 minutes inspire, motivate, and encourage you to become your own best version. Now, here's Cynthia.
1: Well, hello and welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. I'm glad you joined me this week for part two of Do You Need a Kinder, Gentler Relationship? And so this is a really important topic as we think about how we as Christians can change our world and the world for Christ. And one of the ways we do that, we start with ourselves. That moves out toward others. And then as as we get that happening in community, it ends up changing the world. And many times we always want to go all the way outside and work our way in instead of working from the inside out. So when we look at this reference verse, which I always like to use, and I used this in the beginning of last week's show, and this is Luke 6.35 in the Message Bible, and I just really like how it is said in the Message Bible. And it says, I tell you, love your enemies. Help and give without expecting a return. You'll never, I promise, regret it. Live out this God-created identity, the way our Father lives toward us, generously and graciously. Even when we're at our worst, our father is kind, you be kind. And I love this part because it says, I tell you, love your enemies. And I know from being in private practice for over 20 years now, that for the most part, usually we are our own enemy. And if we can make peace with ourselves, we have a more peaceful world. So God is saying, I tell you, love your enemies. And that may be you. He may be saying to you, don't worry about these other people out here that you've got such contention with. I want to deal with you and I want you to deal with you. And so he says, love your enemies. And then he says, you'll never, I promise, regret giving without expecting return. And then this part of the verse is so powerful. He says, live out this God created identity. The way our Father lives toward us, generously and graciously, even when we're at our worst. Our Father is kind. You be kind. So, we talked last week about how to have a kinder, gentler internal world. And that has a lot to do with the amount of negativity that we have within ourselves and how we talk to ourselves, how we care about ourselves, and how that shows up in our external relationships that the way we relate to ourselves, the way we talk to ourselves, directly affects the way I show up to my other relationships. So we added that we need to increase the positivity ratio within ourselves so that we have resiliency to manage this external world that we live in and we have the resiliency to manage the relationships that we have and especially when someone's not doing their own program and they're not in a necessarily in a good place. Because what I have found that, it, that is very profound and it may not be that, you know, it may not be rocket science, but the better my relationship is with God and the better my relationship is with myself, the better I manage my relationship with others and their imperfections. They don't, their imperfections don't derail me as much. When my relationship is off with God, when my relationship is off, is off with myself, my relationships easily get off. And so it's really important that I work on that internal world. Okay. So now that we've established the whole need to be doing the internal work so that the external will work, we're going to talk about what are steps to kinder, gentler relating. So how do I do this outside of myself? Well, here's some suggestions for adjustments that might help you move toward more kindness. Because... One of the things that happens with us as humans, we we really struggle with vulnerability. We do not like to be vulnerable. It's very scary because we don't want to be hurt, which is very understandable. So many times we think that if we're kind and gentle and nice, that we're going to be taken advantage of or we're going to be uh, hurt even more deeply. And actually the inverse occurs. For the most part, for the general population, you be kind and nice to them. They they see it as a breath of fresh air. It's such, it's so doesn't happen to them as much as they would like that when you do that for them, it's like water on a wilted plant. When we do kindness and gentleness, if people want to take advantage of, of that, they're going to take advantage anyways. So I can be kind and gentle and still have really firm boundaries. I can really be kind and gentle and still know how to say the word no and still know how to use my voice. So I don't have to be mean and nasty and defensive right off the bat to make sure nobody hurts me. What will happen when I present that to the world is I will get that version of them because they will have to defend themselves against me. So when we look at these areas, let's talk about adjusting your thoughts. So first of all, when you think about a kinder, gentler relationship with someone else and you're going to do what you're going to do to make this happen outside of yourself, you're going to think about how would you like to be treated? So, do you like it when someone makes you feel even worse about your messy moments? No. How do you feel about the person who punishes you, criticizes you, rubs your face in your mistakes? Versus how differently do you feel about the person who shows compassion and understanding? Even when it's a repeated mistake that you make. The one who offers you assistance and grace. So, which kind of person do you want to be for your loved ones? Do you want to be that place of ref- refuge? Do you want to be that, that person that is a safe place for them? So you think about how you would like to be treated. Think about how you would react to someone else. So think about the family member that just spilled grape juice on the white couch. How do you react? Do you show your frustration? Do you throw your hands up? Do you go, I can't believe it? You're so stupid, you weren't even thinking. I saw it. I knew you were going to do that. Do you feel the need to teach him or her a lesson about being careful with juice? Now you're going to give him a whole, you know, lecture on how to have uh, grape juice in in the living room or something. Well, think about how you would react if someone else spilled the juice, like your best friend or more importantly, a guest. Would you have the same feelings? Would you make a guest feel that way? Would you throw your hands up, you know, yell and scream? I can't believe it. What an idiot you are. My gosh, my couch is ruined. You're going to pay for this. Or would you calmly clean it up and reassure them that you know they didn't do it on purpose, that it was not a big deal, and they shouldn't feel bad? So why wouldn't you be as kind and forgiving to the person closest to you as you would be to a friend or a guest? And I'll give you a great example of, of this idea of thinking about how you'd like to be treated and how you might react to someone else. Um, I was going out to dinner a couple of weeks ago with my husband, and I was meeting him at a restaurant. And he had gotten my car washed that day, and he, he, it was done a beautiful job. And it's wonderful. I had this wonderfully clean car to go to the restaurant, and and I had had to go by uh, another colleague's house on my way and have a small uh, little meeting with uh, a homeopathic person, and she does great work. And so I refer people to her occasionally. Well, I parked at her house, and it was underneath a telephone pole, and I would not think that birds would be there. I know they're on trees, but. I come out to my car and oh my gosh it was crazy what happened to the hood of my car I, I couldn't believe it I thought you got to be kidding me I have to down drive you know half an hour to, to go meet my husband for dinner and the car is like looked like pigeons had a heyday on it so I hurriedly went home I changed my clothes I got one of the kitchen uh sponges out I got it wet, I walked downstairs, and I started rubbing this stuff off the the hood of the car. Now, I'm sure all of you men out there are thinking, oh, my gosh, what is she doing? Well, exactly, what was I doing? I don't know what I was doing. I was trying to just get the the stuff off the car. Well, it scratched the paint a little bit, and I thought, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this, because this is a fairly new car. I thought, oh, no. So I kind of rubbed it as best as I could. I get in the car, I go to dinner. Now it's dark, the car's parked, so I don't have to worry about it. So the next day, I think to myself, I have to tell my husband what I did. So I say to him, okay, honey, I have a confession to make. I got to tell you. And I tell him my story about the pigeons and the, you know, bird stuff all over the car. And, and I show him the place that it was. And he looked at it and he goes, honey, that's okay. We'll figure it out. I think I have some buffing compound and we can rub it out. I was like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? <laughs> I got myself all worked up. He was so kind to me. And you see, that's what we want to do in relationships. You know, that, now certainly my husband's not perfect, but this is a great example of how we want to treat each other this is a very harsh world and how we want to to be treated and so how how i how would i react to somebody how would i want someone to react to me and so he just fixed it and he said you know what if we can't do it with a rubbing compound we'll figure it out and it just calmed everything down because he knows i'm an intelligent person i wasn't just being lazy or 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 not thinking I was caught up in a moment and doing the best that I could so it's important that it we adjust the way we think so secondly we adjust our focus so we focus on the relationship instead of the appearances so in every interaction I want you to ask yourself am I building up my relationship are my words and my actions contributing to closeness or are they driving a wedge between us because if you listen to last week's show, when we talked about the power of words and the effect on the brain and the thalamus, you know, that, that part of our brain, that walnut-shaped center part of our brain that is part of the language uh, center of our brain, and that, that that when we think words such as peace, it goes to that part of the brain, and that part of the brain perceives it as real, and it sends out information to the rest of the brain. So if I think peaceful thoughts, and I meditate on peaceful thoughts, I will have a tendency to think the world is a more peaceful place. Because our brain does not necessarily perceive the difference between fantasy and reality. This is why I'm always getting on people about seeing horror movies. And they say, well, I know it's not real. And I say, well, is that why you jump and scream in the middle of the the movie? Because our brains don't know the difference. So the way we think directly affects the way we feel and perceive things. So I need to be very judicious about the words I use when I am talking to people that I am wanting intimacy with and realize that this can be very fragile. It doesn't mean there isn't tremendous resiliency in intimacy and that we can recover quickly. We can recover and be stronger because of it. But we don't want to intentionally be inflicting pain and damage recklessly thinking that, oh, I can just fix it later. And just indulging myself in the feelings that I have and hoping that, well, you know, they'll be okay. I probably shouldn't have gone off like that, or I probably shouldn't have been that negative. or Maybe I shouldn't have used those words, but, you know, they'll get over it. This permanently damages relationships. And as we talked previously, ongoing, enduring negativity actually damages the brain, the structure of the brain, not just the neural net. So this is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. And we are talking about a kinder, gentler relationship. I hear the whispers in my welcome back to Conversations with Cynthia. And I'm Cynthia Hyatt. I'm so glad you joined me today. And I want to encourage you to always visit my website at CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T tcom I always love it when I hear from listeners about what they're learning from the shows or if you have a, a question about anything that I'm um, speaking about. You can also visit me at Facebook. That's Cynthia Hyatt Inc., I-N-C, um, that's for Incorporated, and you can find lots of inspiring thoughts and um, places that I'm going to be speaking or singing or these types of things. So, I, so please um, join me at, on uh, Facebook. So we are talking about a kinder, gentler relationship. And in last week's show, I would like to encourage you, if you haven't, to listen to that podcast because we talked about we need to do the internal work first for the external to work. So if I want a kinder, gentler relationship with people outside of me and I want them to treat me kindly and gently one of the best places for me to start is in my internal world. How am I acting in my own internal world? How do I talk to myself? How do I care for myself? Because that's going to directly show up in the way that I relate to other people. So we were talking about how we can change some of this. What are some steps to a kinder, gentler relationship? And we first talked about adjusting your thoughts. So I want to be really diligent about thinking how I would like to be treated. And I know this sounds like kindergarten, but, you know, we as humans, simple does not always mean easy. So we really want to think about that golden rule. And, and I want you to hear it in a different way as well. I want you to think about the golden rule towards yourself as well. So I want to treat others, others the way that I want to be treated. So am I treating my neighbor as myself? Well, if the way I treat myself is not very nice, I probably don't want to treat my neighbor that way. So I might need to adjust the way I treat myself so that the way I treat myself is also the way I treat my neighbor. And so we want to think about how we would react to someone. So how how would I want someone to react to me when I make a mistake, when I do a bonehead move, when I'm not you know, on my program, when I'm not really acting in the way that I would really like to act? Do I want someone to be reading me the right act and lecturing me and telling me all the ways that I could be changing and how ridiculous and stupid I am being? Or would I want someone to say, you know what, it's okay, you're going to get it, you're going to figure it out. You know, this is just a a mishap. Or if it's a major, it's like, you know what, it's a major issue, but you know, we're going to get through it. I'm going to stand by you, I'm going to support you. Now, you get that response from people when you are willing to do that towards yourself, if you are willing to support yourself, take responsibility for yourself, you will find that other people are much more willing to come alongside you and help you do what you need to do to correct whatever major mistake or to undo something that you have done versus the person that has to come alongside you as a parent and you're kicking and screaming the whole time you need to change that behavior. So, The next area is that we want to adjust our focus. And so we want to focus on the relationship instead of the appearances. And how are my words and my actions contributing to closeness or are they driving a wedge between us? How am I helping this relationship? How am I supporting my relationship? Because I need to remember that words go out into the universe and they keep going. You can't take them back. Once that information is out, it's out. So you want to be very careful about the words that you choose because words create or words kill. They either bring life or they bring death. So I then want to focus on the situation instead of the behavior. So let's say someone's having a bad moment. So instead of focusing on what they're doing wrong, focus on who you know that person to be. See, comfort and compassion goes a long way. Sympathy, I tell men many times with women, sympathy goes a long way. So I still want to practice boundaries, and I want to make sure I don't take things so personally, and that I find out what they may need. I help them figure it out. I help them get their needs met. And we practice here, when we focus on the situation instead of just the behavior, you know, we, we really focus on what's going on in this situation. And we use the acronym HALT, which I really like. It's, and HALT stands for hungry, the A stands for angry or anxious, The L stands for lonely. The T stands for tired. So when people that are close to me are acting in a way that is probably not typical for them, instead of just getting defensive and reacting, I want to say to myself, okay, what's going on? Are they, maybe they're hungry. Maybe they haven't eaten all day. Maybe they're angry about something. Maybe they're angry at me possibly, but maybe they're just angry at at something that I don't know anything about and I'm starting to take it on. Maybe they're lonely. Maybe this person is lonely, and that's why they're being so snotty. That's why they're being so bratty or so difficult. Maybe they have felt rejected, and so they're struggling with loneliness, and they just need to connect with somebody. Maybe I need to bring some compassion to that moment. Maybe this person is just tired, so I'm not getting a very good version of them. So I really want to focus on that and, and, and not necessarily the behavior. Now, if a behavior is a repetitive behavior, then we're going to have to address that. But if it's a situational issue, then I want to focus on that and not the behavior and just say, you know what? They're having a bad moment. They don't typically, while they're driving, uh, tailgate or yell and scream at somebody. They don't typically slam doors. So I'm going to just ignore that and I'm going to focus on the situation with this person. I'm also going to focus on prevention instead of correction. So once we understand, wow, what was going on in that situation, you know, maybe... Part of the self-care is you need to eat more frequently so you keep your blood sugar up so you don't get as stressed, you don't get as sensitive, you don't get as anxious. Maybe you need to work as, work on an anger issue. Maybe you need to work on some anxiety. Maybe you are a little bit more high-strung. I know that I'm I'm in that group of people, of high-strung people, so I know that I need to be careful because I can get kind of spun out if I'm not not working on settling myself down and relaxing, telling myself the truth about things. So we want to focus on the prevention. Well, well, if I'm lonely, what do I need to do to work on loneliness so that I don't end up being this nasty, negative person around people or an insecure, needy person around people? What do I need to do to work on the loneliness quotient in my life? And as we've talked in previous shows, uh, when we talked about uh, coping with divorce and and the pain of divorce, sometimes if we're lonely, that's a place God has us and we need to learn to be alone and be with ourselves. So we want to work on really understanding that prevention means what's done is done. And we all know when we lose the program and we need help to regain it sometimes. So we don't want to make it worse by being a part of the problem. So we focus on preventing it instead of correcting, especially when we're dealing with adults. Then I also want to adjust my words. And I want to listen. Listen to yourself. Notice when you're kind and who you are kind to. You do have a kind voice. Everyone has a kind voice. Why am I more apt to use my mean voice than my kind voice? So if you know you have a kind voice, you know how to be kind, and you know you have the tools, then you want to make sure that you are changing the way you speak to your loved ones. So what words do you use when you are being kind? What tone of voice do you use? Make that be the new habit. And ask yourself, When I start to sound mean, what sets me off? What happened and why am I starting to get back in that mode of stress, strident, being strident, uh, stiff, tense? Why am I not relaxing? And what do I accomplish by being mean? What I accomplish by being mean is a lot of damage that has to then be undone. So I really want to listen to the way I talk. So this is Conversations with Cynthia. Join me again in the next segment as we are talking about a kinder, gentler relationship. Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Thank you for joining me today and I want to encourage you to visit me on my website which is CynthiaHyatt.com and that's spelled C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com and Facebook. Uh, You can like my Facebook page at Cynthia Hyatt Inc. That's I-N-C for incorporated and I also want to encourage you um, as you visit that website to know that I also um, am often a keynote speaker and I do many lectures and seminars and so If you are looking at that for your group or organization, please, there's a contact page on the website. So today we are talking about a kinder, gentler relationship. And last week we talked about how to do that in an internal basis, that how I have a kinder, gentler relationship with myself directly affects how I relate with other people. And so today we are talking about the external world and how are we to be kinder and gentler Outside of ourselves in our intimate relationships and in, in our in our relationships all throughout our life so this area we talked about adjusting my focus so what am I focusing on? and so this last part we talked about focusing on prevention instead of correction and this is especially relevant to adults uh, very rarely do adults need to actually be corrected and taught they most of us as adults pretty much know. What's decent, rational, normal behavior? We may rationalize why we're not acting that way. And many times we get into blame games that, well, if they weren't acting this way, I wouldn't be acting the way I am. But what we want to remember is that we do our side of the street, and that's what we are going to be talking to God about, is how I did my side of the street. I can't control how the other person does their side of the relationship. So the next area that we want to adjust, other than our focus, is we want to adjust our words. And we talked about listening to ourselves and knowing that I do have the ability to, to be kind. I am kind in many situations. Why am I not kind in my most intimate or closest relationships? Or why am I not kind to people that I don't know? Why do I feel that I have the right to treat the person at Circle K or waitresses or, or drivers or whoever it is the way that I want to because I don't know them? So we really want to practice spreading a kinder, gentler relationship to the rest of the world. And then I want to make sure that I have a backup plan. So when I'm adjusting my words, I want to really understand that when I find myself about to say something to someone that I might regret, I take a deep breath. I always am telling clients and myself, if I breathe in, I can't talk which also causes more oxygen to go to the prefrontal lobe, which is where I have more logic and reasoning and the more mature part of myself. So I want to take a deep breath. I want to relax. And I want to say softly to myself, I love you. And I want to get myself refocused on the fact that in spite of whatever it is that this person is doing, God is asking me to love. And we talked about that verse in Galatians. that says that you are to love your enemies. And many times we can feel like the person we love the most or the most committed to is actually our enemy. And so we take a deep breath, we relax our body, and we softly say to ourselves, I love you. Because it's very difficult to be mean after reminding myself that I actually love that person. I may be so angry and frustrated and hurt and having a myriad of feelings about that person, but the bottom line is, I love that person. So this can help many times to diffuse the situation because if I can get myself relaxed so that I can be that kinder, gentler version of myself, it can help that other person relax as well. Even if it does nothing to calm the other person, it at least calms me. So I can think more clearly. I can be more present. I can give them more of what they need. And I can feel much better about my behavior. And the last one is that you are to adjust yourself your routine that which is self-care so you make sure that you get your own needs met this is very important jesus was very good about getting his needs met so he could be the person that all of us need him to be so he took time away to relax he went and he prayed he talked to his father because he knew that humans need to talk so he told his father how he was feeling so you be proactive you eat when you notice that you're hungry you sleep And yes, there'll be times when you won't be able to do as much of that. But you make sure that you are taking time for you so that you can be who you need to be for those other people. And then you let go. You let go of all those things that won't really matter down the road. So you say to yourself, in the course of eternity, is this really going to make any difference? So that I major in the majors and not in the minor. And I invest being attentive to the people that are in front of me. I see the choice, this is the last one, and then I make the choice. So maybe being mean or nasty or defensive or critical, maybe it feels automatic. Maybe it feels like you can't help it. Well, this is usually stress and a lack of self-care. You don't have to surrender to it. You can be in charge of your behaviors and your reactions. I tell clients all the time, you know how to get along, get along. You do it at work, you can do it at home. You can be that kinder, gentler version to the people that you really love the most. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in this last segment as we talk about how to fight fairly. Well, welcome back again. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia, and I'm so glad. I'm always glad when you join me because these are helpful messages, and I have to tell you, they help me every time I write them, and every time I deliver them, I learn something again, and God reveals something more to me. So we are talking today about having a kinder, gentler relationship and knowing that we need kinder, gentler relationships. And in last week's show, if you, and you can go to my website, which is CynthiaHyatt.com, and there's all those podcasts. You can also go to the uh, Faith Talk 1360, the KPXQ site, and you can find the podcast as well so that you can listen to the first one. And in that first show, we talked about a kinder, gentler relationship with myself because we know that the way that I relate to me eventually is going to be the way that I relate to you. That is going to come out of me. I can't produce outside of me what is not inside of me. So we've been talking about now this external world. How do I do the kinder, gentler version in the external world? And I want to start with this verse in this last segment, and it's Matthew 544 in the Message Bible. And it says, you're familiar with the old written law, love your friend. And it's unwritten companion, hate your enemy. Well, I'm challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. I mean, how powerful is that? When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer. For then you are working out your true selves, your God-created selves. This is what God does. He gives his best. The sun to warm and the rain to nourish. To everyone, regardless. The good and the bad, the nice and the nasty. If all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner can do, can do that. So this is really powerful how he says this. And and we talked about that many times loving our enemy is actually ourself, that maybe we're our greatest enemy. And and, and then as well as sometimes those people that we are absolutely the closest to, we can look at them and say, this person is now my enemy. And I'm frequently telling clients in the office, I say, you know what, if they really are your enemy, then why why am I helping you be with them? It doesn't make any sense. So it may feel like they're the enemy. It may feel like you are at such odds that you don't even know how you could ever even come together again. But this verse here is saying, I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer. For then you are working out your true selves with your God-created selves. This is what God does. He gives his best. So he's saying to everyone, regardless, good or bad, the nice or the nasty. Because if all you do is love the lovable, how, how hard is that? And again, in Luke six twenty-seven in the Message Bible, I love this one. It says, Tell, to you who are ready for the truth, I say this, love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer. It take if someone takes an unfair advantage of you, use the occasion to practice the servant life. No more tit for tat stuff. Live generously. And this is when we were this is really regarding when we talked about in the last segment that we are to let go of things. Is it really going to matter in eternity? We're going to really major in the majors, not in the minors. And then my favorite one for today, this is Luke. Six, verse 35 and it says I tell you love your enemies help and give without expecting a return you'll never I promise regret it live out this God created identity the way our father lives toward us generously and graciously even when we're at our worst our father is kind you be kind so I live that every day and when I'm not kind I take responsibility for it. I apologize for it and I fix it because God is kind to me. So how dare I not be kind to the ones he loves? And that means, of course, myself. That's the hardest part, obviously. So as we move toward this last part of the segment, we are going to talk about fighting fairly because we can still have a kinder, gentler relationship that still has arguments because we know that God argues with his people. Sometimes we saw that with he did with Abraham regarding Lot. So we know that God, we see the whole book of Job, where there's this back and forth bantering, this working out, reconciling things, trying to to work out whatever it is that, that is causing there not to be able to be that connectedness that we truly want to have. So when we're fighting fairly, you have to understand that we use these times that we disagree to strengthen the relationship versus damaging or weakening it and causing the relationship to be more fragile or distant. It's very important that we understand that if we go into it, we find ourselves in an argumentative state. We find ourselves, oh my gosh, it's happening. We're disagreeing. We're not connecting. This is bad. I'm getting my feelings hurt. I'm wanting to run away or I'm wanting to lash out. I'm now in the fight, fight, or flee, you know, part of my brain. That I say to myself, I need to take a deep breath, find the adult Cynthia and make sure that I am, Doing this argument or this fight or whatever this disagreement is in a way that doesn't damage unnecessarily, that doesn't weaken the relationship, that doesn't cause more wreckage and damage and cause it to be more fragile, but causes it to have more resiliency and to be strengthened and deepened. So remember, we talked in the first show word and way. It's the words I use and the way that I use them. So the first one when it comes to fighting fairly, you do not threaten to leave. You do not use the divorce word if you are married. I say to clients frequently, do not ever use that word unless you are walking that one out because that one is very difficult to take back and you destabilize the relationship tremendously. So you don't use that word ever unless you actually mean it. You don't use it as a way to get a reaction out of somebody. You need to use different words to say to them, I'm afraid, I'm worried, I'm scared, I'm feeling so disconnected from you. Or I'm feeling like I can't take it. I'm feeling like I I just got to get out of this. I don't know what to do, but I don't want to do that. So you be very careful that you use the idea of a continuum. You don't go from zero to 100. You make sure that your response, your reaction to it, whatever the offense is or issue, has merit on that scale. That I'm giving it a 20 if it deserves a 20. I'm giving it an 80 if it deserves an 80. I don't react to somebody breaking a glass or dropping a glass on the floor and spilling milk the same way I would react to somebody telling me that they cheated on me. So it's very important that I find that adult part of myself that understands a continuum and that I'm able to regulate that. Secondly, I don't use all or nothing statements. This takes the argument in a lateral direction. It's impossible to stick to the topic because now the statement The all or nothing statement like, well, you always do that or you never listen to me or it's never going to work or there you go again. Now, you know, this is how it always ends up. It's never going to work out because what happens is it makes it impossible to stick to the topic because now the person has to try to refute or defend the statement you just made because we all know that there is no all or nothing with humans. God is the only one that has license to do all or nothing, black or white. We are all on a gray continuum. We don't even know what all is. So we have to be very careful that we don't use statements because that binds up the relationship and makes it very difficult to process. So obviously, you don't name call. You don't hit below the belt. This is very damaging and shaming. It derails the issue, and it creates a whole plethora of new issues. We be decent. We honor the person as human, even if they are not acting like it. We do not succumb to acting like trailer trash. We are above this because this dishonors God's creation. We are honorable, noble, regal creations that he has made. And we need to reflect that even if we are in a disagreement or an argument. So we don't be disrespectful. We be very careful of our body language, our facial expressions, our tone of voice, the rate of and the pacing and the words that we are choosing. Now, remember, this takes tremendous self-control. And this is something that we as Christians, when we are honoring God, we are working toward that gift, that we are working toward that character, that character issue of self-control. We have peace and kindness and love and joy and perseverance and self-control. And this is imperative that we practice using self-control. And if we can't control ourselves, then we take a time out. We say, I, I'm losing control of myself. I am not going to be a good version of myself. I know me. I'm I'm reaching critical mass here emotionally, and I can't control myself. I have to have a timeout. Now, the other person is going to feel very abandoning to them. That's just the way that it works. But that other person is going to have to also control themselves and say, you know what? They probably do need a timeout, even though that's really frightening, and it feels really undone, and now I have to stand here with all these feelings, and I have nowhere to put them. So that other person has to work on, what do I do with myself while they take a timeout? And when we take timeouts, you have to understand that they are timed. It isn't a week. A timeout is not a week. A timeout is 10 minutes. And if you need more time, you say, I need more time. Or you say, I need a half hour. I got to get over myself. I can't talk about this. It is so messed up. It is so complicated now. I need to take a timeout. And that means that we don't exceed our emotional limit. And we understand when we're hungry, angry, lonely, tired. And we don't take it out on the other person. We really check in with ourselves. We really understand what's going on with me. Am I hungry, angry, anxious, lonely, or tired? And so this situation is amplified because of my physical, emotional, psychological, spiritual condition. I am compromised. So I'm not handling this situation the way I would normally handle it. Maybe if I were feeling better about me, if I were not tired, if I were not angry or anxious or upset, maybe this would be like pretty much a no big deal. I would just kind of get over it, but I'm making it into a deal breaker. So it's really important that we be very careful about that and that we are not fighting about something that would otherwise be ignorable. This next one is very important. This is you don't fight for the sake of fighting. You don't fight to just need to be right. And there's that famous saying, do you want to be right? Or do you want to be in relationship? So we are not talking about moral issues here. We are talking about perception. And we all have multiple areas and arenas that are occurring that create the perception that we have. We have the past. We have the present. We have the future. We have the physicality of us. We have our emotional state. We have our psychological state. We have our spiritual state. We have our social state. And that realm we have the language that we use. We have the way we perceive the language. We have past experiences that may be triggering how, how we are responding to that moment. So we have to be very careful that we don't fight about perception, that we honor the other person's perception, even if it makes absolutely no sense to us, and we feel like it's a, a, a blight against us. So we find that adult part of ourself. This next one is important as well. You don't create, create an argument to discharge your own emotional energy. And when we create rules for arguing, we keep them. You don't give yourself permission to break the rules because you're right and they're not keeping the rules. Or someone needs to practice self-control, and since they're not, I don't have to control myself either. Because remember the effects on the brain. It causes us to go into survival, and there is no logic there. And then we think about, in the grand scheme of things, will this really matter? Will the argument that ensues be more memorable than the issue? And how many of you have had a huge argument that was like, cataclysmic. You almost wanted to like leave the person and you can't even remember what it was about. Now, the last one we need to know how to move on. We need to know when and how to let it go. And we always focus on who the person is, not on what they are doing as a way to retain fondness and compassion for the person. So in ending, in this final part of this, this message, I want to remind you you always love You always forgive. You practice kindness and gentleness as a habit. This is a hard world. Life is hard. Living is harder. So be nice. Now when you are practicing love and you're practicing forgiveness, this doesn't always mean that we can retain intimacy with people. Sometimes people cannot control themselves or will not control themselves, and that means we can't have much intimacy. But that doesn't mean... That we don't love them, pray for them, hope the best for them, and that we practice kindness and gentleness toward ourselves and toward others. You are valuable. You are very important, and God holds you in high esteem. So hold yourself and others in high esteem. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Thank you for joining me today, and I will talk to you we next this week.
0: Our has been encouraging, motivating, and inspiring to you.